Okay, if you open up to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be picking it up at verse 5. And um, I titled uh, the message, Walk in the Light. Walk in the Light, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. As you turn in there, I just want to clarify a couple things. The the John Birch Society meeting that's going to be... I think August 18th on a Wednesday. That's no longer at the Grinstaff's house. It's going to be downstairs in the classroom. So just, just letting you know. So don't, if you show up at the Grinstaff's house, they'll, they'll probably be down here. So, um, and, and, uh, and then I'll give you a good update about you know, what, just what's going on in, in our country and in our world. So if you're interested in looking into that, that'd be, that'd be really good. Um, the other thing is... Um, this Saturday, August 7th, there's going to be hundreds of people. Sometimes when the weather's nice, we can get five, 600 people. And so that's a good opportunity to grab a stack of business cards. And as you talk to people and befriend people, a lot of unchurched people, probably 80% of the people that are going to be there at that concert are unchurched people. And so you might want to just invite them to our church. And if, if God puts it on their heart for them to, to show up, that would be a good thing. So... So something to think about, that starts 6 p.m. this Saturday, and the weather's, if the weather's nice and the good Christian concert and stuff like that, and I just share the gospel message for about five minutes, and, uh, and so, oh yeah, yeah, go early, and, um, and hopefully you can find parking somewhere in Polsbo, and, um, but, uh, so, uh, so, uh, so now you should be at Ephesians 5. Verse 5, and let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. And we thank you for providing salvation for us. And we thank you for indwelling us with the Holy Spirit. That when you save us, you don't just take us right up to heaven. You leave us here on earth so that we can do your work and minister to people through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of of your kingdom. And uh, so I just pray, Lord, that, uh, that we would take these uh, messages from the book of Ephesians about imitating God and walking in the light and walking in wisdom, that we would take them to heart. And so I pray, Lord, you would anoint me with your spirit and empower me so that I would proclaim your truth, that you would cancel the man so I would not lead anyone astray. I pray that your spirit would illuminate our minds to understand your truth because our own sinful desires get in the way when we study the word. But enlighten our minds to understand your truth and empower us by the indwelling Holy Spirit uh, to obey and apply what we learn today. Lord, we just love you and we just pray that you be with us, not just in this service, but throughout the week, throughout our lives. And we know things are getting real bad in this country Uh, But we know that uh, the only thing that could never, ever be taken from us is you and your son and your spirit. And so I just pray, Lord, that we would be content knowing you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so walk in the light. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be starting at verse 5. It's my goal to reach verse 14. I don't think I've accomplished one of those goals in a very long time, so we'll see what we can do. And um, But brief introduction here. 
Paul talked about the fact that we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. We're not saved by works. But once we are saved, we're new creations in Christ. And as new creations in Christ, okay, we are God's work of art, God's workmanship. So the old man is dead, and we are to put on the new man. So anytime we sin in thought, attitude, action, whatever it may be in our words, anytime we sin, what we're doing is we're bringing back the old man. Okay? And again, the battle with sin is not like two vicious dogs in a battle. The battle with sin, when we sin, it's unnatural for us. Because the Bible says, Paul tells us in Romans 6, we're no longer slaves to sin, now we're slaves to righteousness. So when we sin, it's not like this vicious dog that we're battling, two dogs battling. It's like taking a dead dog on a chain, on a leash, for a walk around the block. If you've got a Christian friend, maybe, you know, you're married, maybe you're married, your spouse, when you step outside of, of um, God's will, they should be able to confront you and say, what are you doing? That's not you. That's the old you that was crucified with Christ. Okay? Now, Satan wants us to think, oh, you're still a slave to sin. No, you're not. You're a slave to righteousness. Now, act that way. But what happens is we lack trust in the Lord. We lack trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and we give in to these lies, and that's why we have no excuse when we bring back the old man. But the old you is dead. You need to put on the new man and be an imitator of God. And now Paul is going to talk about us walking in love. To, to imitate God, we've got to walk in love and refrain from evil. It was last week, walk in love. But the other side of that coin, we also need to refrain from evil. So we want to walk in love. We want to do the good stuff, but we also want to refrain from the evil stuff. And then Paul tells us uh, to give thanks. And, um, and that leads us to verse 5. In verse 5, Paul tells us, don't act like the world. In this context, the world would be uh, non-believers, the non-believing world, the world that is still in rebellion against God. So look at verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator, that's an immoral, sexually immoral person, no fornicator, unclean person, that's a, a morally unclean person, nor covetous man, a greedy man, who is an idolater. See, if your life's characterized by fornication or sexual immorality and, and uh, uh, moral uncleanness or greediness, you're an idolater. An idolater is when you love something more than you love Jesus. That's what idolatry is. You know, we think, well, I don't bow before a statue, so I'm not an idolater. Let me tell you, if sports are more important to you than Jesus is, okay, you're an idolater, okay? And, um, and so you've got to put uh, Jesus first. Um, and so uh, those who, whose lives are characterized by sexual immorality. By the way, what is sexual immorality? 
It is any sexual act or thought um, that is outside of sexual relations between uh, a man and his wife. Okay, believe me, we have we have churches right now that are so lax. You get a you get a pass on premarital sex. Some churches you get a pass on adultery. Some churches you can leave your wife or somebody else, and the church isn't even going to kick you out. Okay, um, some churches are giving you a pass now for homosexual activity. You know, if the information I'm getting is accurate, there's there's churches in the area that are baptizing gay couples. Okay? Um, so, uh, sexual immorality, pornography is sexual immorality. The Bible condemns, you know, Jesus says that if you look upon a woman and lust for her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So you don't have to physically commit the sin to break that command. Now, granted, physically doing it is even worse than just thinking about it, but even thinking about it is sin. Be a godly person. Fight sin in the realm of the mind. Okay? Uh, but, but Paul says, Paul's telling us, look, don't act like the world, because no sexually immoral, morally unclean, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, there's lots of ways to be to, to suffer from uh, cov- covetousness uh, in America. Um, you could be rich and still want more. Okay? Um, you get a guy like Bill Gates, you would think, well, with all the money he's got, he doesn't need any more money. Well, then why in the world would he turn around and buy up one-third of the farmland in America? By the way, I don't like one guy. And then what? the Chinese communist regime owns another big chunk of our farmland. And then we pay our farmers not to farm. So you tell me our future looks bright. You know? Um, I don't think it's, it's too far to say that we got leaders that, that uh, hate this, this country. But you get people, you can have wealthy people that are incredibly gr- greedy. Having all this stuff is still not enough. You know? And um, we still want what well, we're upset because uh, some little guy's got something that we want. You could be like King David. And out of God's will, he had several wives, but Uriah the Hittite, all he had was a beautiful wife. And Uriah the Hittite was a faithful servant of King David. King David stole his wife and then had the guy killed to cover his scandal. You know, so we got that kind of greed going on. But we, we, we could sit down, we could be in, you know, most of us are probably middle class people. We could say, well, that's, that's not me, and this and that. Yeah, but if you're one of the strongest drives in your life is, look, man, I want to make more and more money. I want, how come my neighbor's got two cars? I only got one. So we can be guilty of coveting, okay? But let me tell you, the poor do not get a pass on this. In this country, we have a lot of healthy people who are poor 
because they're either too lazy to work or they just want to depend on the government, whatever it is, and they covet other people's money. So they vote for politicians who promise, elect me, and I will take other people's money and give it to you. Okay? I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many people, I'm not, you know, don't raise your hand, but, you know, how many of us went to college and had to work hard to pay off that debt? And now we get, got to get politicians saying, hey, vote for me and we'll cancel all your college debt. And so you paid your own college tuition, and now you got to pay other people who don't feel like paying theirs. So there's, there's this, this uh, greediness that, you know, it, it is just plain wrong. It's wrong if, if you beat me up and mugged me and stole something from me. That would obviously be wrong. But it isn't any better to try to get politicians to take my money and give it to you. Okay? You just got a big, more fierce mugger. Okay? And, uh, but whatever the case, we should not act like the world. We should not be sexually immoral in thought, words, or deeds. We should not be morally unclean. We should not be greedy. We should not covet. The people who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're idolaters. Okay? It's not just that they do bad stuff. They're not worshiping the true God. Okay? For some of them, sex is their God. For others, money is their God. Okay? Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 to 11. Paul says this to the Corinthians. Why did he tell the Corinthians this? Because they needed to hear it. Okay? I'm glad we get to learn from the Corinthians' mistakes so we don't have to repeat those mistakes ourselves. Okay? And, you know, you might think, wow, well, you know, Pastor Phil, I'm a, I'm a pretty righteous guy. Well, did, has God ever referred to you as a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart? Because that's what God referred to David as. And he still was not above a falling to the temptation of adultery and murder. So uh, we got to cling to the Lord. We put no confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3.3 3 says. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, those are sexually immoral people, nor idolaters, those who worship false gods, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. He's covering two different types of homosexuals. He's got the, the whole practice is condemned there. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, look, you know, don't, don't be deceived here. By the way, you can go to some churches, even in Kitsap County, right now, and they will deceive you. They'll act like, oh yeah, you can claim to be a believer and continue in this willful, habitual sin, and we're not going to call you out on it. Okay? That's being deceived. 
Um, uh, now, if it ended there, that'd be, it'd be like, man, that covers just about everything. I mean, um, you know, a lot of us could say, well, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a fornicator, I'm not a homosexual, um, I'm not a thief, but do you, do you covet? Okay, I mean, there's, there's always something. It's like, man, um, the good news, though, it says, you know, Paul says they shall not inherit the kingdom of God, those who continue in willful, habitual sin. But Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So what he's saying is the Bible does not teach that homosexuals cannot be saved. Adulterers cannot be saved. No, the Bible teaches that anyone who trusts in Jesus can be saved. But when Jesus saves you, and it's by grace, you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's not by works. But when Jesus saves you by God's grace, through faith in him, he then cleanses you and starts to change you from within. Okay? Now, you could have a bad night. Peter had a bad night. He denied Jesus three times. You could have a bad year. Now, by the way, I'm not giving you a green light. Okay, yeah, I can have a bad year like King David did. Because he didn't repent, you know. He didn't repent until he was confronted by Nathan the prophet from adultery and murder. I'm not giving you a green light, but I'm just saying that the fact is that we believers are not always as consistent in our walk as we should be. But Paul's saying, be consistent. You know, if he, if he sees you wallowing in the mud, Paul would say, who do you think you are? You're not, if you, Paul would say to me, you're not the old Phil Fernandez. That guy is dead. Stop lying to yourself. The old Phil Fernandez is dead. And now it's the new Phil Fernandez. Okay? God's work of art. Well, if I'm having a bad day and I don't look like God's work of art, whose fault is it? My Bible says God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's not God's fault. If I'm having a bad day, it's me. And so Paul says, if Paul sees you in sinful behavior, Paul, inspired by God, would say, what are you doing? Why are you acting like the world? Don't you know the people, the world does that stuff? The people who do that, those things in a willful, habitual way? Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. So why are you even acting like them? Now, if you continue to act like them, okay, if you continue to act like them, after a while, your Christian friends, the church you go to, has to, the leadership has to start scratching their heads and say, wait a minute, is this guy even saved? And they got to call you out. You know, the way to, there's a biblical way to do it. Biblical way to do it is you confront the person, the brother or sister. If they don't repent, you take two or three witnesses with you, you confront them again. If they don't repent, then you take it to the church leadership. Okay? So there's a biblical way of doing it. If it's done properly, it prevents gossip and all kinds of crazy stuff. Okay? 
And if you think God's calling you to confront somebody, make sure you got the log removed from your eye before you try to help them get the splinter out of their eye. Um, but let me tell you, what, you know what Paul's telling the Ephesians, just like he told the, the Corinthians? We're not playing games. Okay? We're not playing games. If you came in here today, and I don't know your hearts, I think we got spiritually beautiful people, but I don't know your hearts. You're playing games with Jesus? No. The old you is dead. Now the new man created in Christ Jesus, your new creation in Christ. Old things have gone away. Behold, all things are new. You need to start living like the new person you are in Christ. Amen. Okay? And, and by the way, some of us, myself included, we're a little, we're a little too grumpy. Okay? And yes, if people knew grumpy Phil Fernandez before he got saved and grumpy Phil Fernandez after he got saved, they'd say, praise God. That's, that's a miraculous change right there. Okay? Um, but the fact of the matter is um, some of us, you know, some of us it's not like, um, you know, we're not out there beating people up and stealing, you know, breaking into houses and stuff. But for some of us, but it's easy to say, I'm not like that. You know, some guy in our neighborhood killed two people. I'm not like that. Okay? Let me tell you, that's not God's standard of righteousness. You know? I asked a guy once when I worked in law enforcement, um, if you died tonight, um, would Jesus allow you in heaven? And the guy shocked me. He looked at me and said, he wasn't a believer. He said, yeah. Yeah, he would. And I was like, whoa. First time somebody said that, you know. And, uh, and I said, why? And he said, well, and he started talking to me about his neighbors. One guy was an adulterer. One guy was in, involved in this other kind of sin and stuff like that. And he just, you know, and I, I said, oh, I could do that. I could say, Jesus is going to allow me in heaven because I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler. You know, all you got to do is just keep lowering the bar. The problem is, God's bar is set so high, it's called perfection. Okay? Stop comparing, stop comparing yourself with the Hitlers of this world. Compare yourself with Jesus. And do you deserve to go to heaven? No. And so, that's why uh, I took him to Galatians 2, uh, 20 or 21 in there. I said, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died needlessly. And I said, my problem with you is you're calling Jesus a fool. Jesus said he had to come to earth and die on the cross for your sins because that was the only way he could get you into heaven. And you're saying, no, thank you, Jesus. You're a fool. You didn't need to die for me. I'm better than Joe Schmo down the block. I could earn my salvation. No, you can't. And, um, and so, um, so Paul... Uh, is making it very clear. God is, is, is guiding him to record his word without error, as, as are all the scriptures, without error. And he's saying, look, don't act like the world. No sexually immoral, morally unclean, greedy person. They're idolaters. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, why in the world would a true believer, a true born-again, saved believer, 
Why in the world would we imitate the world rather than imitate God? So willful habitual sin is often evidence that a professing believer is not really saved. Let me repeat that. Willful habitual sin is often evidence that a professing believer is not really saved. Okay? We can, um, you know, you could talk all you want, but Jesus said in what, Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Now, Jesus is not saying you have to do the Father's will to earn your salvation. What he's saying is, if you are truly saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, took your punishment for you. If you trust in Jesus for salvation, if you have genuinely trusted in Jesus for salvation, your life will be characterized by obedience to the uh, Father's will. Um, we don't have time to turn there, but in 1 John 2.19, even false teachers, John could tell us, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they were not all of us. Okay? And, um, you know, I believe that even when Paul was writing to the churches and he addresses the, the believers there as saints, set-apart ones, I believe that he's entertaining the possibility um, that not all of them are actually saved. And so I even think, I don't care how small a church is, when you get behind a pulpit, you have to assume, even if there's no visitors and you know everybody in your church professes faith in Christ, you have to be open to the possibility that someone might be professing faith in Christ and might not really be saved. Okay? So I, I think, you know, it's like, well, why should I preach about hell today? Because everybody here is a believer. You don't know that. Preach about hell. Okay? In fact, uh, I think if American pastors preached about hell more often, we might see more Americans going to heaven someday. Okay? Um, but, um, but whatever the case, uh, so look, we're not of the world. We're true believers. If we are true believers, well, let's stop acting like the world. And um, because the sexually immoral, morally unclean, greedy, pe greedy people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? So if you've got a Christian brother or sister who's in willful, habitual sin, you need to pray first and then confront them. They don't repent. Get a couple buddies. They don't repent. Then you take it to the church. Okay? Um, okay. Uh, then Paul says, don't... Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Verse 6, Ephesians 5 and verse 6. He says, look, you know that the, these sinful people will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, Christians don't do good works to get saved. We do good works because we are saved. Good works and a changed life, those are the results of salvation, not the cause of salvation. So then he says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath, the anger of God, comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
So he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't let anybody lie to you about this. God punishes disobedience. And I don't care if there's pastors in Kitsap County and throughout Washington State and throughout America, maybe even throughout the world. I don't care if they're trying to deceive you with empty words and say, don't worry about it. God loves you just the way you are, so he's okay with you continuing in your sinful lifestyle. That's deception. God does not want believers to be comfortable in our sin. This is why King David, after his horrible sin, said, return to me the joy of my salvation. When you step outside of God's will, you don't lose your salvation. You lose, you lose the joy of your salvation. You certainly don't feel saved. You don't feel like a child of God. Let's say you blow up at your spouse. You yell at your spouse and you know that you were, you were wrong big time. If I stopped you right there and said, hey, you, you, you feel saved right now? You're going to say no? You feel like you got the joy of the Lord? No. Okay. And God's got it set up that way. Now, some people just keep right on willful, habitual sin while professing faith in Christ. And if you don't, you know, then you counsel them and you find out, no, they just want excuses to continue in their sin. They have no desire to repent. After a while, you got to say, you know what? I don't even think this guy is saved. But if you're out there and you're suffering with willful, habitual sin, my, my wife have counseled people time and time again. We have counseled people who wanted help to get out of their sin. Habits are hard to break, especially when the evil one is, is whispering in our ear. One thing I can't do, I cannot give you a secret, secret formula to experience the joy of the Lord while being outside of God's will. Amen. I've actually told people during counseling, hey, I don't do magic. Okay? There's no true joy outside of God's will. You've got this pseudo-demonic happiness, but true joy is only in God's will. I had to tell a guy, you know, a guy wanted to divorce his wife, no biblical grounds for it whatsoever, a godly lady wanted to divorce his wife, and he's looking for a loophole. And finally I told him, I said, dude, I don't do magic. I, by the way, that was the last time I counseled the guy. Because it's just like, look, how many times, in fact, I even told him this. How many times has God's word got to say, thou shalt not steal, before you get with the program and you stop stealing? stealing. Okay? So if you go to a church, if your church just gives you a pass, okay, what they're doing is they're deceiving you with empty words. Uh, look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans 1 and verse 18. Paul says, For the wrath of God, the abiding anger of God, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay? Don't let anybody deceive you. 
God punishes disobedience. God is angry at sin. Okay? I know people. This is not an exaggeration. I know people who have wanted to either make bad decisions, sinful decisions, or um, continue in a sinful behavior, and they got confronted by their pastor, and so they went to another church. And they got confronted by their pastor, and then they went to another church, and got confronted by their pastor, and then they went to a church and said, we're okay with it. Okay? Um, believe me, every county has churches uh, that will deceive their people with empty words and say, it's okay, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you, okay? But they'll act like Jesus loves you in such a way that you can continue in your sin. Jesus is okay with that. That's not the Jesus of the Bible, okay? If you are stupid enough to run towards the edge of a cliff, if you're at the Grand Canyon, you're running towards the edge. Jesus loves you enough to love you, even though you're being stupid. But he loves you so much, he tries to stop you. He doesn't want you running off the edge of the cliff. Okay? God loves us so much, he's willing to save us in the midst of our sin. But then he loves us too much to leave us there. And so if you go to a church where Jesus is your buddy... And whatever little sinful thing you want to do, Jesus is okay with it. That's not the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's not the lamb who was slain. That's not the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, there's a reason why we call him Lord. Okay, and um, so don't let anybody deceive you. No godly church encourages her people to be comfortable with their sin. Okay? The sad thing is today, many churches are built on empty words. Okay? If you get a church, if you go to a church and it's built on empty words, they deceive their people with empty words, and they act like God is not a holy God, and he doesn't demand righteousness, uh, he doesn't demand that you submit to the Holy Spirit in your life, you need to get out of that church. That might be a club, a hangout or whatever, but that's not a church. Okay? This isn't a country club. Don't play games with Jesus. So let nobody deceive you with empty words. God punishes disobedience. Verse 7, uh, Paul says this, Ephesians 5 verse 7 Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Therefore, do not be partakers with sinful people. Look, they have no share in God's kingdom. Why should we, we fellowship with them in their sins? We don't have fellowship with the, the unsaved, the ungodly. Okay? Um, that you you got to understand... This Saturday, we're gonna. There's gonna be a Christian concert. There's gonna probably be hundreds of people, most of whom will not be saved. Is Paul saying, "Well, don't be partakers with him"? Is Paul saying that you should say, "Pastor Phil, I refuse to go on Saturday"? Yeah, I mean, if you're busy or you you need some rest and you don't want to go, that's fine. 
But don't tell me, Pastor Phil, I'm not going on Saturday because I don't want to be a partaker with those sinful people. That's not what Paul is saying. When he's saying don't be a partaker with sinful people, he means don't hang out with sinful people and compromise your faith by engaging in the sinful practices that they engage in. Okay? So we should, should we hang out with unsaved people? Yes. Be wise about it. I'd recommend you have at least one fellow believer, strong believer with you so you can be accountable to each other. But yes, we should hang out. Jesus hung out with unsaved people. Okay? But keep in mind, when we hang out with non-believers, we're witnessing to them. Okay? Now keep in mind, they're probably witnessing to us. They're probably trying to lead us into their kingdom. We want to lead them into our kingdom. Now, it might get to the point where you have to shake the dust off your sandals and realize, hey, if I just keep hanging out with this guy, this guy is not open to the Lord. I'm just casting pearls before swine. And Jesus said, don't do it. Um, but uh, by the way, I am not saying give up on the hard cases. Yeah, yeah. Believe me, there's some people, you know, you, you, there's a time when a person might just make it real clear that they're not open to the gospel and they just keep dragging you down and you're never dragging them up and you might have to break ties, but don't give up on people. And um, like I said, the only, the only two guys that I thought had blasphemed the Holy Spirit and both of those guys got saved. And that's a, a sermon for each of them. Okay? And, um, but... Uh, but whatever the case, uh, we, we, when you hang out with non-believers, you're witnessing to them, but we're partaking with and fellowshipping with believers when we hang out with them. Okay? Fellowship means you're sharing, koinonia. You're sharing something that you have in common. Koine Greek, common Greek. Koinonia, sharing what you have in common with others. When you fellowship... With believers, you're sharing what you have in common with them, which is Jesus. Now, you might have to find some common ground with people in the world. Maybe you find out a guy likes football, so you start talking with him about football. But you, the goal, though, is to build that relationship. Maybe the guy likes coffee. You go out and get coffee with the guy for a while. But the goal is to eventually uh, lead that person to Christ and then disciple them. And so we witness to non-believers, we only fellowship um, with believers. Uh, look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. Paul says this, and do not be conformed. To be conformed means to be outwardly conformed to something. And do not be conformed to this world. So don't be outwardly conformed to the pattern of this world. But instead, be transformed, be inwardly transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
So in other words, rather than being outwardly conformed to the world, by the way, a lot of churches, not all, there's, there's some big churches that got big by preaching God's word. That's the hard way to become a big church. Um, but there's a lot of big churches that got to be big churches by conforming to the pattern of the world. Um, the, the pastor of, of Gateway Fellowship, Pastor Tom Duchman, his church owns our school, the school that I teach at, the Christian school. And they just came out with a letter to all the parents saying that our school, Crosspoint, will not have our teachers get critical race theory training and will not teach critical race theory because it is not a biblical worldview and it is opposed to the biblical worldview. Good. Now I say praise God for that, right? So some pastors from a big church in the area are complaining now. And they're probably going to, I wouldn't be surprised if they threaten to pull some of their kids out. Okay? You know, critical race theory teaches you that um, certain ethnic groups are automatically racist. It has nothing to do with their thoughts, their actions, their behavior. And certain groups are just oppressors automatically, and they need to be punished, and other groups are oppressed. No matter what they do, no matter how wealthy they are. Based on critical race theory, billionaires like Oprah Winfrey are oppressed. And what, that Merkel lady or what's, I don't even know, her, the, 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 the British, the British lady and her husband that supposedly left the throne and all this other stuff. And they're billionaires. They're billionaires. And they're trying to convince us that they're oppressed. Okay, based on critical race theory, um, a white man that is poor and dying of starvation, who lives in America, he's an oppressor, and oh, billionaire Oprah Winfrey is oppressed. It's got nothing to do with facts. Okay, um, and so we have churches in the area that are becoming big just by conforming to the pattern of the world. No. Don't be deceived. Don't be partakers with sinful people. We cannot conform to the pattern of this world. See, we, do we need to find common ground with non-believers to try to lead them to Christ? Yes. But we have to be careful. Don't emphasize finding common ground with the world. You know, in our attempt of the American church, in our attempt to find common ground with the world, we have become the world. So we have to be very, very careful about that, okay? Um, now, by the way, you could, if you're on Facebook, some of the old people like me are on Facebook. Um, the young people say, Facebook, you know, that's so, you know, 2010. And, um, but um, if you look at my profile, I think, I think probably 90% of my posts are boxing posts and about, uh, 5% are puppy dogs, and 3% are funny, and then the other 2%, I'll say something, I'll give a little bit of truth, or I'll post my sermon. Because I know the, the fact checkers, 
on Facebook are too lazy to listen to an hour-long sermon. And um, basically what I'm doing is I'm trying to create a, a false profile. I want Facebook to think, yeah, this guy's a boxing fanatic. In reality, I'm not a boxing fanatic, but if I'm going to squeeze in those, put a sermon a week, post it, and get away with it, then I gotta, I gotta, I want the algorithms <laughs> to say Muhammad Ali fan rather than uh, Jesus freak. But I'm a Jesus freak. Okay. And I want you to be Jesus freaks. Okay. But we gotta be wise. Now on Messenger, I will Messenger, I will message. Pastors and philosophers and theologians from all over the world where we'll talk the meaty stuff. And sometimes I'll share some of that stuff. You know, I'll get stuff from, from Alan and from Josh and from Marcus in the messenger thing where it's kind of like, man, I'm glad they sent this to me through messenger. Because if they sent it through me just through a Facebook post, they'd be canceled. You know, I put the word what? Vaccine. That's all I did. The word vaccine. And sure enough, they put fact checkers. <laughs> so so uh, you tell me if we're free, still free in this country. And, uh, but, uh, but the fact is, so we got to find, finding common ground is important. But not to the point, we want to find common ground with the world to lead them to Christ. Don't focus so much on finding common ground with the world that we become the world. Okay, if I know somebody who's homosexual, uh, common ground right off the bat, we were created in God's image. We're fallen. Suppose I find out that the the um, homosexual um, happens to like boxing. Okay, I, so I could find some common ground, but the common ground cannot involve compromise. Cannot involve compromise. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 14 to 18. You know, there are some churches that all the... All that's important to them is filling up chairs. Now, do I wish all the chairs were filled here? Yes. I wish they were filled so much that we had to have two services on Sunday, a Saturday night service, and a Wednesday night service to hold all the people. Okay? But that doesn't mean that the leadership of Trinity Bible Fellowship is going to say, hey, let's start watering down the truth, and maybe more people will come. You know, maybe if, if we became the, uh, the pro-gay, pro-critical race theory, pro-hedonistic, pleasure-seeking church, maybe we'll grow, okay? Let me tell you, um, you know, we could just transform this building into a bar, get a liquor license. We could pack this joint just selling booze. But we're not a bar. We're, we're the church of the living God, and we've got to proclaim God's truth. Look at 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 18. 
do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, you know, when you would yoke two oxen, you know, you'd put this thing that connected their necks together, and then you could plow the land. That's no problem. You could also yoke two mules and plow the land. But if you unequally yoked a donkey with an ox, because the ox's stride is longer than the donkey's, they'll keep, you can't plow the ground. You'll keep going around in circles. Okay? So if you're a believer, you marry a non-believer, you're unequally yoked, your marriage, your lives are going to go round and round in circles. You're not going to do what God called you to do. You're not going to plow the field. Um, uh, so you got to be equally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is what Paul's talking about. Don't partake with sinful people. He's talking about don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, with Satan? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we have got to have God's wisdom. Paul's going to talk, you know, we're talking about walking in light right now. Next week it's going to be walking in wisdom, okay? We need to walk in wisdom um, to understand, well, how can I be separate from the world but still impact the world, okay? By the way, I'm open to the possibility that eventually things will get so bad, the only way to be separate from the world is to literally be separate from the world. Things could get so bad we might just have to live in small Christian communities and protecting ourselves, caring for us. I mean, there's, there's several scenarios where Christians are going to be un unemployable in the near future if things continue down the path they're, they're going on. Um, but right now, being separate is like being separate in Jesus' day. Jesus was never unequally yoked with non-believers, yet he spent a lot of time with non-believers. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is Jesus. What would Jesus do doesn't always work. Okay? Um, yeah, you know, there's lots of things where whatever Jesus did, we should do. But if somebody bowed before Jesus and worshipped him, what would Jesus do? He'd accept it. Somebody bows down before you, you pick that guy up. Okay, you don't accept worship. You're not God. Jesus is God. So, uh, so God's probably not calling any of us to cleanse the temple by force. Okay, uh, beat up people in Jesus' name. Uh, God's not. Uh, 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 I don't think God's calling any of us to speak, speak to the uh, Samaritan woman when nobody else is around. Okay. Now, by the way, I don't even think he was. I think it's. I don't even think he was alone. Because how did where did John get the information? The John was. It was a teenage guy with you, and you're witnessing to somebody. 
you, you, you don't even have to mention that the teenage guy is there. That's the way the Jews were. And um, so, uh, but whatever the case, I could see Jesus witnessing to a lady alone. I don't think guys should. I think guys should say, hey, you know, I need, I need a couple other people around here too. To be careful, you got to build boundaries. Put no confidence in the flesh. I got no problem with anybody in this church being in the lion's den if God called you to be in a lion's den. And sometimes we go in a lion's den and God didn't call us there, and then we act like God was not faithful because the lions tear us to, to shreds. Um, and so uh, we, uh, we have to understand we're not, we're not to be partakers with sinful people. Um, why should we fellowship with people in their sin? You know, now, by the way, you may be at a family get-together, and everybody's telling dirty jokes and uh, uh, foul mouth and this and that. Um, I'm not saying don't go to that family get-together. But hopefully you're there with your spouse so you've got that, that accountability and all. But somehow you have to pray and say, Lord, can I bring light into the midst of this darkness? And if you can't figure out how to do that, then step outside the room and go play with the kids or something. Okay? Um, but we cannot be partakers with, with sinful people. This is why 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Paul says again, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. Um, I have talked to so many Christian brothers who got involved who, who just kind of walked away from the Lord, got involved with garbage sin, and then repented and came back. And I've asked them, how did it start? And for a lot of them, it started with they wanted to advance at work and be accepted by their coworkers. And since their coworkers all went out to eat after work once a week or whatever, or for lunch once a week, they went with them. But then they noticed that they would have a beer or two and so then all of a sudden they would start drinking beer with them and all. The Bible said, you know, it's a sin to get drunk. It's not a sin to drink, but we've got to be wise. We've got to surrender your freedom in Christ so as not to be a stumbling block to others. Okay, always be willing to surrender that freedom. But sometimes, you know, eventually, all of a sudden, the guy's now telling dirty jokes with these guys, and then maybe they're going to some parties with them, maybe getting drunk, and the list goes on and on and on. And uh, bad company corrupts good morals. And so what does Paul tell us to do? Back in Ephesians 5, verse 8, he tells us to walk as children of the light. Walk as children um, of the light. Ephesians 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness. So, so Paul's saying, I don't want you to fellowship with darkness, but you used to be darkness until you came to Jesus. Okay? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so we are to walk as children of light. We're no longer darkness. Darkness means two things in scriptures. Um, 
If we turned off all the lights and waited till the sun went down, so there was no light whatsoever here, and you walked around, you would probably bump into chairs. You might bump into this pulpit. You might trip off, fall off the steps because of the darkness. Why? It would be because you were, because of the darkness, you couldn't see your way around. You would be ignorant of your surroundings. So sometimes the scriptures talk about spiritual darkness as spiritual ignorance. Turn off the lights, walk into a wall, because you didn't even know it was there. Okay? Other times in scriptures, spiritual darkness talks about spiritual impurity, sinfulness. Okay? And that's the, the, the main, main emphasis that Paul is giving here is that we are no longer darkness. Not only are we no longer spiritually ignorant, but we've come out of the world of sin. Jesus didn't just save us to heaven. He saved us from sin. And uh, we're not going to be perfect until we see Jesus uh, face to face, but we are now light in the Lord. And that speaks of spiritual truth, and spiritual purity. And so we need to walk as children of the light. Okay? This is, this is not... Let's say I'm a football coach, okay? And you're one of my football players. This is not you're a lousy, untalented, slow, weak player, and I keep getting on your case and yelling at you because your performance is not up to par. That's not it, okay? What Paul is talking about, because you're a born-again believer indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it's more like the best player on the football team is not giving 100%, is not doing well. And the coach says, man, that's not you. You're better than that. That's what Paul's saying to us. Why do we have to keep imitating who we used to be before Jesus saved us? The old you is dead. Okay? And, um, and so we've, we've got uh, to act on the new man rather than the old man is dead. And so we need to walk as children of the light Look at Matthew chapter 5. It's a couple verses to look at and we'll close. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 verses 14 to 16. Jesus is saying this to his followers. You are the light of the world. Now John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But he says, whoever follows me will not walk about in darkness. And so because of Jesus, because the light of Christ shines in us, we are the light of the world. In this dark, dark world, where is there light? There is light in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? 
You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor did they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay? We are the light of the world. We need to shine the light of Christ. By the way, and, and, and when you shine the light of Christ in the midst of your unbelieving friends, God gets the glory, not you. Amen. Okay? Um, now, you might be tempted. You know what, though? Um, i got to find some more common ground. I'll get drunk with them just this one night. Okay? And, um, and you think, okay, that's going to that's gonna make things better. Now we're closer? No. Now, all of a sudden, you, you can't witness to those guys anymore. Every time you try to share Jesus, they say, uh, oh, you're a hypocrite talking about Jesus. You got drunk with us on that night. You might say, that was 14 years ago. <laughs> nah, you're a hypocrite. Okay? That's why Jesus said, when the salt, it's the same passage, salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for? Nothing but to be trampled on by men. Okay? So don't think, if I sin just this once, I'll find more common ground. No, you sin just this once, you're going to be spiritually trampled on. Okay? And, um, but if you shine your light in the midst of the darkness, the glory will go to God the Father. Look at Psalm 27, verse 1. Just a couple passages and then we'll close. Psalm 27. In verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Praise God, the Lord is our salvation. We're saved. But he's also our light. He should lighten our path. He should, we should allow him to transform us so that we bear fruit. So he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Okay. But the Lord is our light. And then we'll close with 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. We're no longer darkness. Now we are light in the Lord. We should walk as children of the light. 1 John Chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. This is the message which you have heard from him and uh, which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's not like God's mostly light, but a little darkness. No, in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So don't be, don't be, if you're going to walk around in darkness, don't be telling people that, that you're, you're a believer, you're trusting in Jesus. You're not practicing what you preach. So if we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, you might think if we stop there, okay, so Christians are supposed to walk in the light, so we're supposed to have sinless perfection. That'll happen when Jesus returns. In the meantime, we've still got this battle going on, not because of two vicious, strong dogs fighting each other, but because we like to take the dead dog for a walk around the block. We underestimate what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Um, we still have bad days. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, acknowledge our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so basically, briefly, what, what John is saying is, look, none of us are perfect. We won't be perfect until we see Jesus face to face. Okay? Until then, we're going to have sin. We're going to have to acknowledge it before the Lord. But if we willfully, habitually walk in the darkness and we're comfortable with our sin, okay, how can we say that we know him when he is light and in him there is no darkness? And so, uh, as children of light, we are to walk in the light. We're to be imitators of the Lord. Next week, we're, to, we're going to see that we should bear, allow the Holy Spirit to bear his fruit in our lives. Okay? But believe me, it is not our job. As a pastor of this church, um, but for all of us as Christians, it is not our job to be loved by the world. If you preach Jesus and you obey Jesus and uh, the non-believing community loves you, great. Praise God. I do not wake up in the morning and say, how many people can I tick off today? Okay? But the fact of the matter is, if you proclaim the Lord Jesus and you obey him, you're probably not going to be real popular with the world. And we not only have Christians, we got pastors building churches on trying to give the world what the world wants. Okay? Um, it's not my job to make you feel comfortable in your sin. It's my job to preach the convicting word of God where not only should you leave here not feeling comfortable where you are, you might accomplish great things for the Lord yesterday. Yesterday's great accomplishments are today's mediocrity. You've got to move forward in the Lord. Uh, but not only should you feel convicted when you leave church, I should feel convicted. Because this is the word of God. We cannot be comfortable with our sin. There isn't a person here who could say, I've arrived, I'm as good as I can get. Not one of us. And... Um, Let's not be comfortable with our sin. Let's acknowledge um, that we serve a holy God who punishes sin. We represent the Lord Jesus. If we're true believers, the old man is dead. Let's bring out the new man. Let's be children of the light. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. 
And we just pray that uh, you empower us by the indwelling Holy Spirit to be all that you called us to be. Cause us to walk in the light. Cause us to bear fruit for your kingdom. Cause us to be imitators of God and not imitators of the world. And so, Lord, I pray that we as individuals and as a church would not be outwardly conformed to the pattern of this world. That we would not seek the applause of man, but we would seek to please the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would empower us and transform us so that we would be pleasing in your sight and that we would be children of light. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you, everybody. We can get some fellowship downstairs.